Happy Friday, everyone, and thank you for joining us on Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Coppernall Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Alicia Priest, president of the OEA. Fried Okra is a weekly podcast where we get together to talk about public education issues in Oklahoma. We hope you'll join us every Friday. Well, today we are joined by Jennifer Weber, Executive Director of Child Nutrition at the State Department of Education. Jennifer, how are you? Good morning. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Well, there's lots to talk about. First of all, um, sort of big picture, what do you guys do at the State Department of Ed for Child Nutrition? Explain what your department does. Okay. Child Nutrition at the State Department of Ed covers all, um, all the USDA feeding programs as far as like national school lunch, school breakfast. We also do the Child and Adult Care Food Program, which we abbreviate CACFP for that program. And that it allows for daycare centers that qualify oh, for the yeah. program to be reimbursed for part of the food that they serve. Um, they, there's paperwork requirements because it is a federal program, so mm-hmm. there's that. We also do the Summer Food Service Program, yes, which yes. we abbreviate SFSP, and that is currently what a lot of schools are doing because USDA just did extend some waivers to allow them to continue to serve on that program um, and get reimbursement at the free rate for those meals. Um, so we do um, we've, we do all the monitoring for the programs, the regulatory monitoring. We do all the – every program has to apply for one of these programs. So we have that process on our – we have systems that um, have application processes. So we have to – Schools and daycares and summer programs have to apply, and we have to approve them. And so being a federal program, there's lots of regulatory items that have to be done before they are just uh, uh, can come on the program. It's not just something they can just, okay, I want to come on your program. Here, here's what I did, and reimburse me. That, there's lots to it. But um, those are the programs we cover. And under National School Lunch, there's the Fresh Fruit and Vegetable Program they can apply for. There's um, been equipment grants. Um, most years now, at least, I think we're up to about year 10 that schools can apply for equipment grants for equipment in their kitchen. Oh, cool. So there's um, multiple different smaller type programs under each one of those three big programs I discussed. And I mean, that's that sounds like a lot of paperwork that runs through your programs. department <laughs> with 500 and something school districts. Um, and about how many students uh, participate in the child nutrition services and free and reduced lunches? Oh, my goodness. I honestly don't think I have a number for students. Or a percentage? Um, well, 58% of the students in the state of Oklahoma, based on our um, low-income report that we collect from last school year, are free and reduced. I can tell you that. Okay. Wow. Yeah, that's that's great. So what does what does child nutrition look like right now? I mean, are some of our schools are virtual, some of our schools are back, yes. some are blended. It's uh it's very different than, you know, feeding hundreds of thousands of kids last year. Yes, it is very different right now. It is very busy in our offices right now because of yeah. everything that USCA has granted as far as waivers and extensions to waivers which is fabulous, but as soon as we get it, it typically throws a curveball to us, and we kind of have to regroup and sometimes go a different direction with what we're used to mm-hmm. when it's typical non-COVID. So right now, the, the latest thing is um, a little, uh, it's been about two weeks now, they 
they, being USDA, issued um, waiver extensions for the summer feeding and the seamless summer option, which is SSO. That's another little program under the National School Lunch Program that allows schools to serve in the summer. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit different than summer feeding in it has um, a little bit different meal pattern, and it doesn't reimburse as much as summer feeding does, the Mm -hmm. SFSP. So um, the schools can choose whichever they want, um, but when they extended those waivers, that made us have to regroup on the summer feeding side because normally we're not doing summer feeding or SSO this time of year. Schools in session, we're under National School Lunch School Breakfast. They're claiming categorically free, reduced, and paid according to the child's lunch status. But those waivers came out about two weeks ago and boom, okay, you can keep doing summer feeding and you can keep doing SSO. And so it really had us regroup on the summer feeding side because we thought that program was over for now. Um, and so we had to we had to get our IT department to re, to vamp it ramp it back up because typically that program only runs May through August when school is sure. out, and that's really how that program was set up. I've been in child nutrition; it'll be 23 years in December, and never have we had the opportunity to serve summer feeding outside of that May through August time frame. So yeah. That system was never set up to run that way. So. Luckily, about two months ago, I thought, you know, they're going to have us go back to National School Lunch because they've been telling us that. So they were like, get ready. That's what we're doing. They're going to have to stop summer feeding and SSO. So I mentioned to um, my director, one of my directors of child care in the summer program and my program director for the system. And I said, you know, we really need to think about having IT make summer feeding available year round. I said, we have no idea what's coming down the pike even if this virus was to get worse, and they do let us do summer feeding in, say, January maybe, because I didn't know exactly what was coming, I said, we really need to we need to look into that. We need to see how long it's going to take. We need to see what kind of hoops they're going to have to jump through. And so we did. We moved on it, and they were working on it. And um, it, I believe yesterday they were able to go in and do the paperwork end of it, the application end of it in the system, um, for the, for, to put their September information in. And then October, that program starts over because every program has a basically a fiscal year. Mm-hmm. And the summer summer feeding fiscal year is um, October to September, like the federal fiscal year. Um, whereas the school programs, state fiscal year, we do the same. It's um, July 1 to June 30th each year. So we have multiple program years in here that we are constantly juggling. And so um, I was just glad that I had just something said you need to get that program running year round. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and said um, I'm thankful for that. Weird. Whatever that was, I'm thankful for that because yeah. um, that's saving us a lot of time. Well, to shift gears a little bit, let's talk about okay. um, community eligibility provision (CEP). Okay. Um, explain explain what that uh, program does for school districts. Okay, CEP does allow for di- districts to serve all their students. Free, which is wonderful. Um, that's that's the biggest thing with these programs. People have asked me over the years, you know, gosh, you've been in child nutrition a long time. Why is that? I, I always say I believe in these programs. These programs are here for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what CEP does is it allows districts, um, it's based on direct certification of children. So um, if they are a food stamp recipient, a TANF, which is Temporary Assistance for Needy Families, um, foster children, homeless migrant runaway children, 
um, children enrolled in a Head Start program. Um, they, that is what USDA considers directly certified children. They don't have to fill out a free and reduced application. Um, and our program here at the State Department of Education, we have a system called the WAVE. Mm-hmm. And we have a, a MOU, a Memo of Understanding with DHS, um, SNAP side of their programs. And each month they upload into our WAVE a list of students who are receiving SNAP and TANF. There are occasionally foster children on that list if they're receiving SNAP benefits. Um, and so that's uploaded into our system, and the schools have the ability to get in there and print. They can print their wave list as often as they want to, but it, it, it is typically only updated about once a month. What a um, great partnership. We get that upload. Yes, it's great. We've done it for years. It works well. Um, and so it's all, since it's based on that direct certification of those I, the identifying ways I mentioned already, um, if they have um, 40% of their enrollment is directly certified, that they're eligible for CEP. Now, once they figure their direct certification percentage, there is a multiplier that USDA implemented when they came out with CEP, and it's um, 1.6. So you take your direct certification percentage times that 1.6 multiplier, and they came up with that 1.6 multiplier because they feel that that will take into account any reduced children that the school would have had Mm. had they been claiming uh, categorically free, reduced, and paid. Mm-hmm. And so it's the 40 or 45% or 55%, whatever the direct certification um, percentage is, times the 1.6. And then I'm just going to say, for just for round numbers, say that comes to 80%. That means 80% of the meals served at that school will be reimbursed at the free rate, and 20% will be reimbursed at the pay rate. Your percentage, it means... They know their they know their direct certification percentage has dropped, but if it hasn't dropped below thirty percent, so it needs to be thirty to thirty nine percent, they can do a gray share with that lower percentage. If it is over forty, they have to go ahead and reestablish for another four years. Or if they choose, they may drop the program. Um, the frustrating part with CEP, even though it's a great program, some schools are noticing at the end of that four years their percentages drop so much that financially they can't continue. Yeah. And that's the biggest downfall that we're facing right now. And I know we're facing it in Oklahoma, and I know it's being faced nationwide, that the end of that four years, okay, you fed these kids for, you fed my kids for free for four years. What do you mean we can't do that anymore? And that's unfortunate. But un- the unfortunate part is that's the part of the program. Yeah. And that's how it works. And USDA has not addressed that in any other way to, I don't want to say fix it, but to, yeah. to well, I mean, to, to come up with a solution. Yeah. To, to come up with a solution. That's yeah. a better word. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, exactly. And so um, I don't want that to be a deterrent for anyone, but we always want everyone to know everything up front. Yeah. Right. Well, there are so many moving parts. I mean, normally yes. and right now so much going on. Um, yes. So, Thank you for what you do in your department and, and our, our food yeah. service workers across the state are keeping everybody fed. Absolutely. Even in this, yes, I agree. Even I in appreciate this. that. My, my staff's been amazing, and I can't speak enough for all those ladies out there that are serving. And men, I'm sorry, there are men in that profession. I <laughs> should not say okay. that it's all ladies. 
um, because there's lots of men and they do the same work and they are working their tails off yep. to just make sure, like they love to say, I just want to feed the kids. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And they do such a good job. Yes. They do an amazing job. And well, they are so often overlooked. And I think this has brought them more to light yes. than ever because of what they're doing. Because they are not missing a beat right now. Whether they're no, they are not. Whether <laughs> they're feeding the cafeteria, boxing it up to go, doing both every day. It's I mean, yes. the work is happening. Big time. You are so. exactly right. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer, for coming on. We really appreciate your time. No problem. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, today we're joined by Allison Taylor, president of the Oklahoma PTA. Allison, how are you? I'm doing good. Thanks. Good. Well, uh, we wanted to visit with you uh, about parents and this time right now. This is, you know, unprecedented, which I think is code for awful. Um, right. And we wanted to know, um, just from a PTA perspective, what are challenges that you are hearing about that families are experiencing? And how can we partner better as educators and families to really help students be successful in such a strange point in everybody's lives? You know, that's, that's a good question. I mean, this right now is, I can't even begins, as you guys as educators know, it's the most difficult decision that us as parents have had to make for our children as yes. far as our education. I mean, it's usually easy. We, you know, go to school, no big deal, send them. You don't have to choose between a virtual, you send them, you know. And it's difficult as for us as parents because we're sending our kids out the door possibly and, you know, and I get emotional because it's, it's, it's me as a parent of, you know, still young children in, mm-hmm. well, children in school. You don't know if you're, you're making that right decision for them going to school, possibly getting COVID, possibly not. You know, are you taking the school's word that, yes, they're going to be cleaning like they say they are yeah. with all the precautions and stuff, you yeah. know. And then... You have the other hand that as, as parents um, in general across the state that, well, they're home. They're not getting the social, you know, socialization, you know, yes. and all that kind of stuff from their, their friends, too. So it's just, it's such a mix. And it's so crazy that we find ourselves in. Um, the struggles are, well, most of our schools who are rural, they don't have adequate Wi-Fi. Sure. Um, that's, you know, you, you guys have heard it. It's a big thing. I mean, some districts are doing the best that they can, and I understand that. Um, even I have, um, know several families that have more than three kiddos at home mm-hmm. and they're all elementary age. So you have four to five kids sitting at the kitchen table or in different areas of their houses. You know, you have five of them on the computer and, what happens even if they have good Wi-Fi Right, and they're all doing Zoom classes, it's still a hit and miss, you know? So it's just like, it is, and I think um, some of our districts, our larger districts were already set up for virtual Mm -hmm. um, better than some of the other, so, which is great, but again, you know, 
that's not equality across our state either. Right. Right. So equity why... is an issue with this pandemic and it's and it's yeah. made that issue even more apparent to everyone. Yeah. With the with the haves and have nots. Yeah. Yeah, and it's so you know, so again, it's like it's sad and it's heartbreaking that we have that. I mean, and especially in this time that we're going through with equality is horrible in so many different levels mm-hmm. and I won't even get into that. But you have, There's you know, why did some of the, you know, districts who have the money and who have the support and who have been yeah. able to provide to their students are getting a better education than some of our other students. It's just, it's heartbreaking. And I cannot keep up every day. I'm hearing heartbreaking stories, families yes. calling, parents calling, um, what can we do? Help us. Um, you know, like, and there are no, there are no good class. answers. Yeah. 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 It, and you know, when I was elected, you know, four years ago to be president elect, definitely in taking president, did I ever think that this was going to oh, happen? You know, no right? I knew, yeah, I was like, you know, kind of knew, you know, how to PTA and how to provide for our, you know, units and our families and stuff. Yeah. But this is, you know, something that Oklahoma PTA is almost um, in two years. We're almost, we're 98 years old. Oh, wow. For 98 years, we have done the same thing. You know, and yeah. of course, ups and downs and different things. Sure, we've sure. had our challenges and stuff, but never have we ever been in this pandemic. Right. You know, yes, have we um, PTA through major tornadoes and losing two schools and, you mm-hmm. know, and that kind of thing and, you know, some other tragedies, but we've never had to deal with this. So it's recreating the wheel just like everybody else is. Um, and so it's hard. And so we're, I don't like, I don't like to feel that we're, um, letting parents and families down and especially letting the kiddos down. And that's, what, it's been hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, the things you're saying, I mean, you could, that, that could have come out of the mouth of a teacher, you know, because it's, we're all facing these, these, uh, questions and these choices and these frustrations. And it's like, gosh, like, there are, there are no simple choices, you know, there are no simple outcomes or easy fixes. And, you know, just like you said, like, you know how to PTA, like educators know how to teach, but this is totally, totally different. So yeah. What, like, what would you, what message would you have for um, teachers, support staff, secretaries, nurses, everybody who's working with kids? What do you want them to know right now? What is a way that, that they can support families that, that you want to express to them? I think the, the biggest thing is open communication and to mm. know that we as parents, um, guardians, anyone who um, is supporting and um, a student right now, that we're all on the same team. Yes. We are definitely on the same team. We all have the same goal is mm-hmm. to help every child reach their potential. No matter how that is, we've just got to figure that out. And I think, and I think sometimes that that gets lost, where sure, sure. some uh, might feel that we're we're fighting against and we don't understand what they're going through and they don't understand what we're going through. But that's not. We're really we we have to have that partnership to be positive for our students. Um, so I'm hear, hearing some of the negative 
of course, you know, you hear the negatives before you hear the positives, right? That's sure. always usually how it is. But um, I'm, and when I do, I always want to encourage them, parents or guardians, to know that it's not the teacher's fault. It's not the teacher's fault that, you know, yeah, technology we... is not working or they don't have, it's not the teacher's fault that they can't, you know, the district can't provide a hotspot or yeah. a computer for every student. You know, yeah. and I think that that's, I kind of, I've told somebody today, and it's kind of weird analogy, but it's kind of like when you go to a restaurant and your food is horrible, you know, it's cold, it's yucky, whatever. It's not really the waitresses or waiters' fault, mm. but guess, that's the person who gets the brunt end of the, yeah. Yeah. the yuck. And it's the same thing with our teachers and our support staff. And, you know, I think they... They're right there in the faces of, you know, the parents that are the front line. And, and it's unfortunate. And so for us as PTA and advocates for our children, I mean, we're trying to help the parents, guardians to understand that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, that it's not their fault. Yeah. No, I, nobody chose this. Right. <laughs> for this fall. <laughs> nobody was like, you know what? Enough of regular school. <laughs> Let's just do whatever. Yeah, and I don't know uh, many parents or teachers who uh, are saying, "Wee, this is so much fun. Let's <laughs> finally let's do it again. Uh, this is the way we wanted to do education. Yeah. Right? There's some changes yeah. were needed, but let's, you know, baby steps. Um, so Carrie and I are both members of PTA, but for our listeners, how can they get, uh, how can they join PTA and get involved? Well, I love that. If you are a family member of a student that goes, has, um, you know, in school, I would first encourage you to contact the school. Um, and most of our schools have their own Facebook or website. But contact, you know, them at their local site. But if you don't, um, then you can go to www.okpta.org and join Oklahoma State um, PTA, because then most people don't understand if they're not really in, you know, PTA or have an understand that there's three different levels of PTA. We have national PTA. We're the oldest and largest advocacy group, membership-based um, parent association, right? And so when you're joining at a local unit, you're not only joining at that local unit, you're then a member of Oklahoma PTA for the state, and then you're also become a member of National PTA. So our memberships are kind of like threefold. You get three memberships into one. Cool. Um, because that's what's great. We're advocates, and so we're not just advocating for our own students of that school. We're advocating for all the students at the school, all of our students in our state, and all of our students in our nation. Yes. And that's what's great about it. And I think that that gets missed. Um, misrepresentative also. And, yeah. and, and tell us a, more about what PTA does because you're not just about bake sales and raising money, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I just say that I love a bake sale though. I do. I, mean, I do. When it's not a pandemic, I do love a bake okay, sale. Right, right. I just, I just really like right? baked goods. Yeah. Yeah. We all love our cookie doughs. We love our popcorn. <laughs> we love our chocolates, but let's get real. Yeah. A PTA is not an ATM for our schools. Yes. As, um, 
as parent volunteers, we are great about getting money. Let's work, you know, that's yep. what it is. But PTA and our mission, and this is the love. This is this is what gets me. It's not our PTA mission is to make every child's potential reality by engaging and empowering our families and communities to advocate for all children. Yes, that's what we really are about. Mm-hmm. We are that gap that bridges the families, the teachers, the administrators together, right? Mm-hmm. We want to promote the welfare of our children, you know, and better our home lives and our schools and all of that. It's like we're there to help educate and help the parents understand what they might not understand. You know what I mean? Yeah. Especially and we have different cultures now that are here. Um, and that's very difficult. Some of our, you know, not everybody um, knows how to self-advocate. Not everybody knows how to, you yeah. know, if I'm having this problem, who do I go to? How do I navigate things? Not everybody feels yeah, comfortable you know, even, you know? No, and that word advocate, and I will be completely honest, and I'm an open book with everybody, that scared me to death when, you know, my kids were younger. My oldest is 22. Mm-hmm. Um, when he was younger, I honestly, you know, didn't know how. I mean, I know how to speak up for him and, you know, talk to principals and talk to teachers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've always very vocal. But when it came to, like, I didn't understand advocate. Like, I thought that was all for the politicians and, yeah. you know, yeah. all of that kind of stuff. And then when I really got into PTA more, I'm like, huh? I can what? I'm yeah. like, I have the right to speak, you know. And that's what it is. And it's that's my passion also. That's part of my why of PTA is to help parents like me that felt that way early on when I was a young, younger mom, Mm -hmm. um, to start earlier that we do have that right. And we, we have to be that one. It's our responsibility first. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, just don't leave that responsibility up to your teachers, your principals or whatever. Mm -hmm. And Lord knows we don't leave it up to the politicians, Um, (laughs) you know, I mean, I'm just going to say that it's our responsibility first. And so that's why passion is to help parents feel empowered and to use their voice. And it's okay to use their voice. Yes. um, Because we know best as parents. Yeah. Parents are our child's first teacher. Yes. And, um, and, and embrace that. And, and then we work together with you, but, but, but you're right. Advocating for your child uh, takes on so many different levels of of thought, and um, and you've got mm-hmm. to do it because I I mean your child deserves the best education that that they can get, yeah. and if you're not if you're not pushing for it, if you're not uh, there to support the school and um, and have the school support your child, then then mm-hmm. you've got to get in the fray. Yeah. That's right, and we and it's a proven fact that our students they learn better when the parents or guardians are involved or have a good partnership. Yes, yep. yes. With, you know, if you're at home and you're bad mouthing the teachers or the school or whatever, the coaches, whatever it may be, I'm sorry, your student is going back with a bad attitude. Hundred percent. That doesn't help anybody. I mean, right. really, it doesn't. Yeah, right. It doesn't help at all. That's not advocacy. You know, we, yeah. Yeah. No. And it's not, and and it's not, we want to be, 
good teachers at home. We yeah. want to be positive teachers. We want to, you know, raise good, healthy, smart adults. Yes. And OKPTA, okay, yeah, OKPTA okay, has a long history of, of mm-hmm. amazing leaders from Anna King to Jeffrey Corbett mm-hmm. to Brenda Heigl. Uh, and, and then you and um, and and your president-elect Lori. Uh, yeah, I mean, amazing advocates for kids on a statewide level. So I have been appreciative okay. of that partnership and the things that we've been able to do together. Well, that's awesome. We have to because you know we're a team. Yeah, <laughs> and it it doesn't. I've um, you know, just like I spoke with you yesterday, going help. Yeah. <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> you know, in this situation, because, and that's great. We love that we have that partnership, and um, because so many just think, and I'm so glad you always asked that because you know we get that PTA is just an ATM for the school, but we're so much more. We're so much more. Yep, absolutely. Um, to doing that, you guys, um, you know, and I, just the, the other thing is, you know, that we're really trying to change the family engagement piece. I just want to say that because our family engagement and how I said, you know, empowering the parents and educating the parents and stuff, like our schools, hands down, do carnivals, do bingos, do, you know, all of those fun runs and all that kind of stuff. They do it great, right? Those are always the fun times, the fall carnivals, you know, at our schools. But one thing that we're really focusing, you know, through this whole crazy time we're going through also is family engagement, but changing the family engagement piece to transformative family engagement and really trying to, you know, change their, um, so when they're engaging the families to make sure that they're all inclusive, if that is, you know, for special yeah. needs, are they reaching the, you know, are all families feeling welcome? Yeah. Are they, um, you know, aligning with educational are they impactful? Are they, you know, mm-hmm. all of this kind of stuff. And so that's what we're through this whole time. And especially it's very difficult right now through virtual. Um, but I think that that's helping to change families in general. Like yes. we've all been home together for how many months? So and many. So, so many months. 7,000 months. <laughs> <laughs> so many. I've lost count. Um, but it's been good. Also, Sure. And I want to point that out because there's so much negative about COVID. We all hate it. It's horrible. But on the other side, there is a lot of good that's come out of it. Um, and I don't think that that's um, being presented also. So, and I know people are thinking, I've been told this this past week that I'm absolutely crazy. But it's true because there's many families that don't slow down. They go 100 miles an hour. They're gone every single night till 10 o'clock at night. Kids come home, spend quick time doing their homework. You know what I mean? Right. And then they're off to bed and they do it all over again. Yeah. But it's, this has kind of forced the families to slow down um, and readapt to to a new life, a new thing. And I think there's been positive as well as we know that there's been a lot of negative. Trust me, I, I, right. I, I get that. And a lot of families have suffered. Um but there's also a lot of good in that for families too. Yeah, we've we we've just, had more time dinners together. 
we've had more, yeah. you know, uh, deep dis deep discussions about the shows that we're watching and, and such uh, like that. So that there have been some good things that have come out of it, yeah. like you said. And, um, you know, uh, beyond the negative, we do need to be reminded mm -hmm. of the positive as well. Mm -hmm. And and we thank you for that. We thank you for coming on and, and being with us today. And and we appreciate the family engagement, the transformative family engagement that PTA is working on. Yes. And we love the partnership with parents. So, Allison, thank you for coming on today. And, um, and we will talk to you soon. All right. Well, thanks for inviting me. And you guys, um, you're always in our prayers and our thoughts, and we'll be right there behind you or next to you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Allison. All right. Thank you, guys. And welcome to Alicia's Morning Announcements. Do, 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 do. I went back to the, we had complaints uh, about last week's time. So. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. We got a lot of hate mail. <laughs> All right. So our first announcement, our political action, the Fund for Children in Public Education, we have elections going on right now. They wrap up on Friday, September 25th. So if you donate to the fund, you can vote for your regional representative if they're up for election right now. But wait, Alicia, yes. do you have to be independently wealthy to contribute and get to vote in the PAC election? If you have a dollar that you can donate to the fund, a dollar, then you are eligible to vote for your fund representative. And uh -huh. not only that, but you can, that allows you to be invited to participate in the uh, the conversations that we have, the interviews that we have uh -huh. with candidates to see who our recommended PAC candidates are. Yeah. I mean, and and it's all about education because we are the Oklahoma Education Association. That's true. That's we true. talk about education issues what? with our uh, candidates. Yes. I know that sounds shocking. So shocking. Um, filing for OEA offices, the NEA director, the president and vice president uh, are closing on October 2nd. So if you want to run for one of those offices, uh, go to the okea.org website and you can find a filing form there. Go democracy. Yep. And um, so I'm termed out. Yep. So I'll be going back to public education yep. uh, when this is, you know, in July. And so it's time to elect somebody to um, get more gray hairs as I have <laughs> over the last few years. Man, you make it sound so tempting. <laughs> I know. Um, every day it's a dream, honestly. I, I have loved more than anything being the president of the OEA and so um, moving ed public education forward and, and fighting for the things that we believe in. So um, if you think that's your calling, then run for an office. Yeah, come on. And um, oh my goodness, uh, elections matter, right? Not just for our locals and our um, state OEA, mm -hmm. but they matter for the legislature. Yes. So if you've got a couple of hours, um, it means so much to candidates for you to come out and uh, and do a little work for them. Um, we've got a couple of walking events where it's just putting literature on doors. You just, they give you a list of houses to go to. You Put the literature on the door. You hang it. You don't have to talk to anybody. You're socially distanced. This is, it's, 
You've, I, I've said it before. It's my favorite kind. And, it's my favorite kind. Yeah. And there's, like, sometimes if it's not a door hanger and you just have a postcard, it's also an exercise in geometry to get them to stay in the door handle. Right. So it's mentally a challenge also and a physical workout. It's everything you need and on your Saturday. Yes. And to see, I mean, like last week, my husband and I went and walked for a candidate and um, it, 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 we had... We took a huge neighborhood, uh-huh. and it took about three hours, and uh, and we got in about five miles of walking. Yeah. So um, then I took some ibuprofen, and <laughs> <laughs> and then laid down and laid down the rest and of took the day. a nap. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, it really is. Uh, it, the fun is what you make of it, yeah. and if you have a couple of friends go with you, mm-hmm. uh, that is the best way to do it. One Not, person drive and navigate the neighborhoods and tell the other people what houses to go to, and they uh-huh. just pop out the back door and yeah. go to whatever side of the car they're on and hang. I mean, it's the best. Don't take friends you don't like. Right, because you could be stuck hearing them gripe. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, really. We have such limited human contact right now. <laughs> like, take people that you like. It's entertaining because you get to talk about the porches and how. It's fascinating. Cute decorations or or if somebody um, has cats and you can smell them in the bushes as you walk up to. I mean, it's... My favorite is the tiny guard dogs. Oh, yeah. And you're like, yeah, it's so scary. <laughs> yes. Gonna get off your porch right now. I've got one. Uh, miniature dachshund. They are the fiercest <laughs> until you actually walk in the house, and then she just rolls over and wants you to pet her belly. <laughs> so if you, um, if you have time, we have walking in Stillwater and Midwest City today. Uh, I mean, not today, tomorrow, Saturday, the 26th of September. And we, anytime, there is phone banking tomorrow uh-huh. for a candidate. And a, a so, member candidate. It, yeah, a member candidate. And so she would super appreciate if you had an hour or two that you could just, you know, make phone calls to the phone call lists. It's a, I think it, it I don't know if she's got the automated system or not, but um, it's super easy. And, mm. and just talk about how important it is to elect public education friendly candidates and, yes. uh, so we have those opportunities available uh, tomorrow. If you check your email, our chief lobbyist, Amanda Ewing, sent an email earlier this week that listed those people out. Um, and if you want, you can call our uh, OEA office and um, and they'll tell you who it is that we're walking for and who we're organizing for. Or if there's a candidate in your area. Just go and um, volunteer. Six Saturdays left. Oh, it's super scary. <laughs> All right. And to make sure that you can vote, please check your voter registration. We know that they did another purge of the rolls recently. And so you can go to the state election board uh, website and um, check to make sure that you are still a registered voter. Carrie, what is that address? Oh, well, hold on. I wrote it down and then I set it down. OKVoterPortal.OKElections.US. OKVoterPortal.OKElections.US. So maybe we'll put that somewhere. Yeah. Easy. Rolls right off the top. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. OKEA.org is a much easier thing to, you know, you just. And you can also see your sample ballots now, too. Oh, yes. Which I already have nerded out about. So I got my 
I got my absentee ballot. Oh, did you? In the mail um, yesterday. So oh, I'll man. be filling that out. It's go and, time. And sending that in so that it has plenty of time to get there mm-hmm. in the mail. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, this is the last weekend that you can take the census. Please. Please. We cannot stress enough how important it is to take the census. Yes. So much of our federal money is uh, dependent on uh, the census count, including for um, uh, uh, free and reduced meals for, uh, I, yep. I mean, we've talked about it with the with the census guy a couple yeah. of weeks ago. So um, make sure that you take all kinds the census. Of, yes, all kinds of community services yes. that are that our families need because education, we say it all the time, education doesn't happen in a bubble. Yep. And um, so many community services for parents, grandparents, kids, it's it's critical. It's critical. Fill it out. Ten minutes. No one's going to. It's all it takes. Yeah. Super easy. Yeah. If my husband can do it, anyone, anyone can. Anyone can do it. <laughs> Just joking. Uh, she's not. <laughs> Sorry, John. <laughs> We want to say thank you so much to Allison Taylor of Oklahoma PTA and Jennifer Weber of the State Department of Ed for joining us today. And thank you for listening to Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Coppernall-Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Alicia Priest, president of the OEA. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review Fried Okra on Apple Podcasts. You can also contact us at friedokrapodcast at gmail.com. We hope you'll join us again next week. Until then... Keep fighting the good fight for public education.